Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. Hello everyone, welcome to Better Tech. So today we have Hussain with us. Hussain, first of all, thank you very much for joining us today on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Haseeb, for having me on the podcast. So before we officially jump into these Q&A or dialogue, can you go ahead and let us know who you are, what you do, what's your role, and something you like to tell the audience about yourself? Well, my name is Hussein Sholkami. I am based in Washington, D.C. Uh, I am founder and CEO of Iris. Uh, my partner, Alex McManus, and I started this company in 2015. Uh, we are in the construction space, construction tech space. We are a workforce management software that our clients mm-hmm. utilize for managing their construction sites. That's how we started. Okay. So, I mean, where did this idea came from? I mean, how did it evolve? And why do you think that construction tech was a space where you want to, uh, where you wanted to venture? Well, my, my partner uh, and I, or at least the founders at the time, we, we had a couple of more founders that are no longer with us, um, but uh, we come from the construction industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had about 20 years, plus or minus each, uh, at least that's for Alex and I, in the construction space. And uh, I came from a design perspective. I started my career as an architect. Then I uh, got an MBA with a focus in real estate finance and jumped on the developer side. Uh, She's a mechanical engineer. She has an MBA also with uh, a focus on finance. And she came from the uh, municipal and government space uh, for the procurement and management of construction uh, in that space. Together, we we understood uh, the voids uh, of data that we needed to make decisions as we were on that space. So really, we found the opportunity of jumping on uh, a a space that in our mind was helping us build better. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's how companies start, right? You think you know the answer. And so you start that way. and, And here we are. And so we took our years of experience and understanding the industry to um, build a software that will work and fit within the workflow of construction while providing our clients uh, key data for them to be able to make decisions on the fly and, um, and maintain their schedules and budgets as they work on their projects. Right, so essentially it's, it seems like you were empowering your users or people Correct. with data, right? Hence the term that you used is data empowerment. So can you tell, I mean, in layman terms or I mean, in easy terms, what do you exactly mean by data empowerment? Uh, I mean, who, it, who uh, is a beneficiary of this data empowerment or how it's going to help people in the construction space specifically? Well, um, the construction space was not always known to be a very tech advanced space. Um, buildings are advanced, but building the building wasn't as advanced. You're still relying on people. Right. 
right, right, right. 70%, let's say, of an office building, the value of the construction of an office building, 70% of it is in the people that build it. The data wasn't flowing properly among people because the data helps, um, like you said, empower different stakeholders. So we, if we start with the owner or the client or the government side, the compliance, for example, on the government side is understanding who got deployed, uh, compliance with safety, security, um, uh, and also diversification. Uh, that data flows up to the client in real time from our software, where before the client had to wait for reports and, and, and data that came manually from the field, and sometimes they never made it. So the client is empowered with knowing what's happening on site in real time, but also making sure that the compliances are met so that there are no delays that are happening because of lack of compliance. On the mm -hmm. general contractor side, and, and, and most people, at least here in the US, the general contractor is really a project management company. They're managing a lot of subcontractors, uh, like the electrical subcontractor, mechanical, plumbing, all these guys are different little, I, don't, I shouldn't say little, they're different companies. Some of them are much bigger than the general contractor themselves. And they deploy people to complete the work and the general contractor is really the company responsible. Well, the data, so some of our projects have 1,500 people that are coming to the site mm. every day. Mm -hmm. how, mm -hmm. do you keep, how do you stay on top of that? Before, it was always manual. Somebody's walking around the site checking how many electricians I have and all that. So all of a sudden now with our software and many others, of course, but at least ours started it that way in empowering the general contractor and knowing in real time what, um, who's being deployed. And what I say many others, that's because after we started, a lot of people jumped in that space, to be honest. We were, we felt like we were the first people in that space, uh, at least here in the US. Um, but now the general contractor, as the project manager knows what's going on on site in real time, any, any misdeployment, they know right away, I'm supposed to have 50 electricians today, only 30 showed up. And so that information in real time is very important. So the general contractor now has that data, the superintendent, the workers, the safety people walking the site. They need to know who's around them at all time. Are they trained properly? Do they have the right uh, gear on? How can I make sure that they're not exposed to danger? Mm -hmm. That data is important, right? So now I'm protecting the people or I'm working to try to make sure that there are no injuries on site. That delays a project. And then the subcontractors themselves, they need to know how many of their people are deployed. Some of these subcontractors have 300 people. They may not know actually themselves how many people are out there. So you need that data for their supervisor to be able to understand, oh, I got 300 of my people out here. Where are they in the site? What are they doing, right? So that helps with making decisions fast. And last but not least, the worker. The worker themselves need to understand what is happening. What are the tasks they're going to build? How many hours they spent on site? Are they properly trained? Are they in the right area and they're on the right area? So mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. of this information empowers everybody on a project. So I think it builds collaboration and builds investment in making sure this project is done uh, uh, and moving forward instead of pointing fingers. So in your experience, do you think that, for example, this data empowerment is done for contractor or it could be done for workers right so yes. or it can be worked for the owners yes. or for the people who are involved in architecting the whole thing 
or maybe who are responsible for certain components or certain parts of the building only. So there could be multiple stakeholders, right? Now, these people will need, need different data and this data will be empowering it in a different way. So do you think do you think that if for example these people are empowered with data in different ways it's going to affect the project outcome in general overall like for example initially if you were thinking that it would be a successful project in the end but because of the lack of data empowerment the project was a failure or vice versa so well, what are your thoughts on this I wouldn't call it failure to be honest I would just say delays Right. So, okay. uh, you know, uh, the construction, I mean, these general contractors are very good. I mean, I've not m seen a general contractor who couldn't deliver a project uh, mm -hmm. uh, that was something to be proud of, to be honest. But it's the delays. The delays are what counts. So, like, for example, we work a lot on data centers. Right. Just think mm -hmm. about it this way. Data center is basically a big a building with a big server in it. And our data right now, this video is going through a data center somewhere. I mean, you know, at least five of them or six of them, it's going through by the time you guys hear this, right? So you can imagine for every day of a delay of completing a data center construction, the owner of that, which could be one of the tech companies or a developer that runs data centers, mm. is losing revenue in being able to rent that space for mm -hmm. data to go through. So that's where the pressure comes on the general contractor. You have to deliver on time. And so, you know, having the data helps them reduce the delays because over 70% of the projects are always delayed. It's something one way or the other that comes up. Right. So, I mean, Iris in general, can you talk to us about the journey of building Iris, like from the very beginning, like, how you followed uh, the, the life cycle? Did you work on an MVP first and then you build on top of it or you do it in a big bang way? I mean, how was the journey? Well, um, the journey was very um, interesting. Let's put it this way. Um, sure. You know, uh, I, I tell people don't jump into starting a company unless you know what you're getting into because it is it is an easy and a difficult ride. It is also a lot of fun. Mm. So when we started, we self-funded the company uh, at the beginning uh, to build our MVP. We needed mm -hmm. basically, we needed, well, first before the MVP, we built the concept. And mm -hmm. really it was a PowerPoint presentation at the end of the day. We went around sure. and started soliciting our clients that we knew already or talking to them to see if there was any interest in that product, right? Before we jump into all of that, we just needed to do a quick market analysis, right? We found that there was traction from our partners and clients and colleagues uh, 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 in the market. And so, so that's the, the beginning. Then you start building the business, right? Where the business plan, how we're gonna fund it, what we're gonna do, what are targets, what are the markets? You need to understand all of that and document it. And then once we were convinced that there was, we as an us, the founders, were convinced that there was actually a potential here, then we started looking at how to fund it. So we self-funded it. We found a way to, so we're not, we're not coders. We don't come from that world. We don't program. So we found uh, friends and partners 
that made introductions to programmers to help us understand it and price it and see how we can build it. So after you go through all that, I mean, that was a good, all of this that I'm talking about was probably about a year process before we got to a point where we could register the company. And then we started. And, and of course, it was about building the software and at the same time, trying to convince friends and colleagues, which are your closest, to actually buy into this being a software solution they wanted. And we did. We successfully did. And, and we landed within three or four months of starting the company. We landed a client, our first client. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, uh, and, and everything worked from there. I mean, it's, uh, it's always a challenge, but I think it's fun. I mean, I like the challenge. You wake up in the morning, you know that, you know, today I'm going to do something different. Today I'm going to build something new. Um, it doesn't stop. It's actually fun. Right. So you, you talk about some of the takeaways, right? So for example, you mentioned that you should not start a company unless you know that what you're really getting into. That's one key takeaway from your journey. So what do you say about like top three key takeaways from your experience? Well, the one takeaway <laughs> is, is you got to be the person that doesn't give up. You know, it's mm -hmm. if, if you don't have it in you, then, you know, that's very important. Not giving up. It's because, you know, starting a company is a lot of fun days and a lot of non-fun days. And those non-fun days, you have to be able to stop yourself from feeling like every the world is collapsing and be able to turn around and say to yourself, wait a minute. I'm trying to build this. Let me figure out how to stay focused. Let me stay focused on the target. Let me not let everything else take me down. The other thing is, of course, money. Money is important, right? So when you start the company, the, the, you want to make sure that at least from a personal perspective, that you're funded enough to be able to survive without income for a bit. Because you, mm -hmm. you start a company, there's no revenue coming in for the company on day one. It takes a while. So uh, by the time that happens, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you have to have that patience. Patience also the vision. You want to be able to continue to uh, uh, talk about your vision, continue to convince people. It's really a sales job at the end of the day. You're trying to sell your idea. Um, and, and so, yeah, those are some of the takeaways is, you know, don't give up, keep going, um, make sure you're funded, make sure the idea has a demand out there not every idea will pick up but not every idea is a bad idea either right so so so, so you, you mentioned um, like not giving up and then you also suggested that initially you bootstrapped the company so you self-funded it yes. so later did you did you raise the funding from external sources as well later yes. on yes so, so yes go ahead so when at what point you actually recognize the need for an external funding? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, at the beginning, we, we bootstrapped it, like I said. And, uh, you know, between those funds, we started projecting how long that's going to serve, that's going to last for us. But that's not income mm -hmm. for us. That's just supporting the development of the company, everything from registering and building software and marketing it and all that. And then very quickly, you run out of cash. And so we started a friends and family round uh, where basically you go among the people that love you and care for you 
and <laughs> see if they can take a risk on you, uh, which they did. We were lucky uh, that uh, we had a very solid uh, uh, network that helped us fund the friends and family round, which is really like a seed or pre-seed, whatever you want to call it. Um, then you get to a point where you start have to talk to institutional funding because that's when you realize that um, these institutions can help you, yeah. uh, not just from a financial perspective, but they can help you with opening doors. They can help you with understanding how to build a company and manage it. And then they can help you with making decision, decisions at a board level. So we went out and, 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 and raised money from a couple of institutions. They were still in a, in a seed or pre-seed or pre-series A. All of these are everything that is not really other than just bring in money, giving up shares against them to, uh, to bring new investors. So we landed a couple of very good institutional investors. One of them is Motley Fool, if you're familiar with them, out of uh, uh, um, uh, Virginia. And the other one is uh, uh, Fuel Venture Capital. Uh, and actually the Maryland Venture Fund uh, was a state fund here in Maryland that uh, supported our growth as well, or believed in our growth. Um, awesome. and, and then we had a couple of other different small funds. And then, so now you're starting to structure your financials of the company to get to a, you know, a series A, which we just closed in February. Um, and so, you're, you're tracking your money, you're tracking your expenditure, you're tracking your growth, and you're also continuing to grow your pitch and continuing to get more and more investors. So in this last round, our Series A, we, um, we closed a fund that was led by a New York fund called SMC, Spring Mountain Capital. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. our, our loyal institutional investors also invested, so Motley Fool and Fuel Venture Capital also invested in that round. And then we were able to successfully bring on Autodesk, if you're familiar with them, uh, yeah. as a construction software uh, organization. They also were part of that, um, of that investment. Now, you also have to understand that every time you invest, you're giving up shares, right? So you're diluting yourself. Yeah. You want to be very careful on how much you raise and how often you raise. Because if you raise more than you can deliver with, it's a problem. And if you raise too much, you're diluting yourself too much, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, you're losing ownership in your own company, but you're owning less of more. And then, of course, these institutional investors, they want to be on your board. So you want to, it's like getting married. You want to pick your board uh, properly. And, and we, Alex and I, have been extremely lucky with a very good board. And um, seriously, I mean, our board is, very accessible to us they help us make decisions they help us open doors and um you know they've been very um lenient on the ups and downs or at least collaborative on the ups and downs that companies go through as you make it to a thirty-one thousand feet altitude right when you're flying so, right right so thanks for that and in the end where do you see the future of uh, construction tech um, the future, I mean, construction tech is very important. And I think the last three to five years, especially during COVID, uh, during the pandemic, um, the construction industry has realized that, yes, we need to get to the 21st century and start getting into the technology of how we manage 
and how we build. This is not about robots building. This is about how do you have data at your fingertips and what can you do with that data? So what we're seeing, and I personally envision a future that, you know, uh, a general contractor or a construction site, data will be just available all across everything from where the material is, where the equipment is, what's operating, what's not operating, how do I bill, how do I pay people, how do I pay my subcontractors, how do I pay my workers, everything is really so connected that data can just flow and make life a lot easier for building. Because when you think about it, on one construction schedule, sometimes you have 10,000 tasks that are being built. Who's managing all that? That is so much mm. information to be just pushed around the site. And if everybody is empowered with, I have my phone and I can just know what I'm going to do today, I think it'd be a much better world and be a much safer world for everybody as well, because they'll know exactly where to go and when and what to avoid. And, and, and also we'll be documenting, they'll get paid properly. Um, there'll be less claims because everybody knows what's going on. There's nothing to guess about. Anyway, that's kind of the future is going to be like, everybody's going to be super tech. <laughs> right. So in the end, I would like to really thank you, Hussein, for your time today. And I would like to hear any closing remarks that you might have, and then we can close this off. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for, right. for having me on your show as well, or your podcast. Thank you for making the time. And I really hope that we can have another episode with you. Absolutely. Where we can dive into maybe some other topic in greater detail and uh, talk to the audience about it. Very good. I look Thank forward. you, Hussain. All right. Have a good one. You Thanks. too. Bye. Thanks for listening to BetterTech. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.